we are now going to talk about targeting periods of influence. We're talking about how to make sure you're putting the right amount of fertility at the plant base or where it needs to be next to the plant, next to the seed, when it needs it. Germination, throughout the season, two by two, all those kinds of things we're talking about now. We have Matt Miles from McGee, Arkansas. We have Kevin Matthews from East Bend, North Carolina. These are Extreme Ag founders. Extreme Ag is a media platform, if you will, free of charge. You can go on there and watch all kinds of videos. Watch the Extreme Ag Cut of the Curve podcast and learn valuable information you can apply to your farming operation. Tommy Roach. Tommy Roach is basically the agronomist savant. He's a nature, see, your guy back there liked it. The agronomist savant with nature's. Tommy's a great dude. He's got a wealth of information, and he's going to talk to us about the nature's products and how to help you make more money on your farming operation. Then we're joined by a guy, I love this guy. I've known him forever. <laughs> Luke Murrow with, <laughs> with, with 360 Yield Center. And Luke's going to talk to us about uh, various ways to get the fertility at the plant and when you need it, basically, again, targeting periods of influence. All right, targeting periods of influence. You and I met for a beer the other night and we were planning this whole thing out. And I said, Tommy, what does that mean? Tell these folks, in your opinion, what that means. Targeting periods of influence and, most importantly, why it matters. So before I start, I was actually a sorghum breeder in a previous lifetime. Did you know that? I tell you what, a lot of us, Tommy, you said you were a sorghum breeder. Some of us did things in college we're not very proud of. Go, go ahead. All right. What's, what does it mean, targeting periods of influence? So if you look at this plant behind us, that plant over there, if you know when, uh, what growth stage crops are in, soybean, uh, corn in particular, we know exactly what's happening. We know exactly what nutrients are being needed based on growth stage. Uh, that's not new information, but I think it's coming more into light as we want to be more efficient with uh, what we're spending. Uh, as environmental factors come into play, uh, we may not be able to apply all of the phosphorus that we need to up front, so we have to spoon feed it through the season, depending on where you're at, Chesapeake Bay region, uh, Great Lakes region. So we have to be smarter, and if you want to say not, work harder. Be smarter in what we do. Okay, targeting periods of influence, and go on in there, you're real perfect. Uh, and by the way, seriously, folks, come on in. Remember, we have a bar. After we are done, we're going to have drinks. It's going to be like roll out the barrel. It's going to be a great time. Don't cost nothing. I mean, other than your admission to come here and, you know, pay for a hotel. And uh, if you buy any trinkets for your kids that have Walt Disney emblems on them, about, you know, minimum $300. But besides that, the drinks are free. Targeting periods of influence, we're going to lead off here with Kevin. Kevin, I've been to your farm. I was there for a field day, uh, August. And I'm thinking it's hot, it's 100 degrees, 100% humidity, and you are still actually going out and doing stuff in the field. And you're like, man, I can't believe anything's growing. What do you think about when you think about putting fertility out on that crop at different times and just walk us through what that looks like in your part of the world? You're putting stuff out from planting on. Tell us kind of the general practice. Yeah, so we, we look at trigger points. You know, they call them periods of influences, but we're trying to trigger that plant for the end goal of making more money. And so what we're doing is when we're putting our fertility in furrow, we're banding it in a two by two on each side. Uh, we keep cutting back on the fertility in furrow, but we still like a little bit because we've got not the greatest soils in the world where we are, they're very thin. But then we'll come in and uh, 
people used to say we're going to lay the corn by and we're going to top dress it. We're going to drop some nitrogen down. We'll use, uh, we actually use drop nozzles. We're on 22 inch rows and uh, we're moving to the Y drop system, which he'll talk more about. And usually that's the end of it, but there's so much more. And so what influences yield? What, what makes yield? Kernels and kernel weight. So the more kernels we can get and the more weight we can put in those kernels. So once we, you know, traditionally we go to R2, R3, we get a fungicide on and we're done if you do fungicides. But what we found is, is we can go in and hit that R5 and we can really pack some more weight in. So there's all kinds of trigger points. We just don't give up. Uh, you talk about rounding the bases and keep it going. I'm going to keep on, on you right now for a second, Kevin. Uh, Chad Henderson, one of the extreme ag farmers, was up here yesterday. And his thing, and we call him Send It. Uh, him and Temple Roads, man, they just keep going, keep going. He's out there treating corn at black layer, basically. I mean, he's just absolutely says, I'm going to keep doing stuff. The last treatment you make, are you as bad as Chad? Are you going out there when it's basically almost time to run the combine, still putting fertility out? Well, I kind of think maybe there's one or two stalks out there that I missed and it ain't got the black layer yet, so I might go a week past that just to make sure I ain't missed nothing. <laughs> All right, Matt Miles, uh, let's face it. He's one of these guys, and if you're a good farmer and you want to keep getting better, you admit where you have room for improvement, or you admit when sometimes you weren't as early of an adopter as you needed to be. Matt Miles confessed to me and a few other folks. He said, you know what? I was behind the curve. I used to go out there and just do dry fertilizer. We did a webinar for Extreme Ag where we talked about this. I put out dry fertilizer, it was easiest. His son Lane says, saved us on uh, manpower, uh, saved us on time. But you know what? It wasn't as efficient. He was a late convert to Inferro. So take us through how your conversion to becoming Inferro and, and the things you've done has also led to spoon feeding a crop at periods of influence. Well, first of all, I'm gonna say that uh, right here, here, too much. <laughs> now, first of all, uh, Damon, Damon, Damon's right. Um, we didn't start growing corn in the Delta until about 2008. So I'm relatively a young corn grower compared to most of the people out here. <clears throat> uh, corn got to four dollars. You know, our, our we're a lot of share rent. Our landowners wanted cotton. Cotton was the king. Beans were there. Mr. Tommy knows that. Beans were on your background. And that's just the way the that's just the way the ball bounced. So when we got in corn, you know, I was so green at that. Um, I didn't know anything other than the guy told me to plant two inches deep. I didn't know spacing. I didn't know how much spacing made, how much difference it made. Definitely won't gonna do any liquid because then I'd have to put an infurrow applicator on my planter, and I have three or four planters. I'd have to put it on four of them. That was gonna be a lot of trouble. I could throw urea out there and some ammonia sulfate, and do that pre-plant, come back, do it twice, you know, side dress and, and have the airplane do a pre-tassel and I'd be done. And when I started hanging out with Kevin and Chad and, you know, the guys of Extreme Ag and, and, you know, Kevin first, Kevin and I met way back when and I wanted to learn how to grow corn like he did. And the first thing he told me is, you should have somebody else. <laughs> well, first thing he told me is, you know, you've got you've to gotta get that, you've got to have some ortho fertilizer in the ditch, in the, in the furrow. So, you know, I had been, me and my best friend was my farm manager at the time, and he had been pushing me not to do it because it's more trouble. We finally bit the bullet, we done it, started seeing increases. As Kevin said, 
you know, we're finding a lot of other products that synergize with the inferral fertilizers that even even make things better. So we went from there, so we cut out our, our dry early, or our, our we put infer in there, we stay with our dry. Then we cut out, the next thing we did, it was stair step, as I learned. You know, I'm more a slow learner, so I've got to see it to believe it, which is a typical farmer. I'm a glass half empty guy all the time. My wife says I'm a pessimist, I'm a realist. You know, I'd way rather be surprised by something than disgusted all the time. So that's where I go. So I went from there to, uh, we started coming to these trade shows with Extreme Ag, uh, 360 yield, wide drops. Matt Swanson was the first one ever told me about uh, wide drops. And I'm like, that's gonna be us some more trouble. You know, now I'm gonna have to, instead of slinging it out granular, I'm gonna have to use wide drops. <clears throat> so I'm gonna have to dedicate a sprayer to that. Today, not only am I 100% liquid, or have been 100% liquid, um, tuba two is a problem for me because we have three-point hitch planters. I can't carry all the water. So another guy introduced me to streamer nozzles. So today we're going to have in-furrow streamer nozzles for our tuba two, two applications with a wide drop. So that it it's took a it's it's took a circle, but I, my my corn's increased. My corn yields have been increased dramatically. I think it's important because uh, we got so many different geographies represented at Commodity Classic. He's in the Delta region, southeastern Arkansas, and I didn't even know there was such a thing as a three-point hitch planter being an Indiana guy until I met him. So his point is it was harder it was harder to do a lot of stuff at the time of planting because you've got so much weight and, and, and to put it on there, and you know something a lot of us don't even think about. And so you're making the adaptation. It wasn't because you just didn't want to do it. Some of it was a harder adjustment to make for you based on the equipment you have, right? Yes, as far as the tuba two, we tried that. So we had two, when I come back from meeting with Kevin, I had two 500 saddle tanks, a 500 front tank. Nothing could go on a planter. Crossing ditches, trying to fill up. It was just a, a nightmare. And, and so I had to figure out a way, and this will be my first year. I had to figure out a way to get that product because when you use liquid, when you go out with a first down, you can add products to that. You can add humix, you can add fulvix, you can add different things that you can't add to a dry fertilize to help increase your yield and get nutrients into the plant. I, I think an, an, an overriding theme, we talked about this yesterday, if you were at our panel yesterday, is some of this is about environmental pressure. We're gonna start seeing more of this, and I'm not here to get into any kind of political stuff, but let's just you know look around. And so, some ways I think the importance of talking about, Tommy, targeting periods of influence means putting out the right amount of fertility at the right time at the right place versus the old days when there wasn't a big penalty environmentally, regulatory-wise, or even financially just to going out and flinging stuff out there in the fall or early spring. So things have evolved over the years, and you, know, you, heard, you heard Matt say that he's pretty new to the corn game. Nature's really, even though we started Infer fertility back in the you know late 40s 50s um that's that's all we could target and over say the last 10 years we've been able to do things like foliar we've been able to do things like uh playing in the wide drop game uh playing in the fungicide tank so it's not all about infurrow anymore that's just one piece of the puzzle we we create sort of a a relay type system where we put fertility on the planter. We relay that to the next stage, which would be, say, in the herbicide tank, 
we relay that to the next stage, which would be, say, Y-Drop application, and then even on past that to, um, say, the fungicide tank. And you take, say, what, what, uh, what they said earlier is go all the way to late season applications, be, you know, way into the R stage, which, you know, until here in the last couple of years was not even thought about. You mean the, the point that Chad makes is there was a time when you were done by sometime mid-season and it's time to take your kids on vacation. And what we're discovering is, and Kevin can speak to this, you grab some test weight, you can grab some bushels way after when even you, not saying your grandfather or your father, even you 10 years ago thought, oh, I didn't think there was any reason to be going out in that field after this certain point. But you're grabbing test weight and still some yield. Yeah, the way what got us on it, we had a hurricane come in a little early and the corn you know, we got uh, backwaters backed up into canals and the corn was showing nitrogen deficiencies. So we chose to go in with our, uh, basically a Y drop and put the nitrogen out real late. And it was, I mean, it was so wet, we spun through the fields, but we went ahead and got it done. We left several checks and we actually picked up uh, right at 40 bushels by doing that. And you know, you got a stress crop there, so you're recovering that crop a little bit. But the equipment we have now, the technology we have, you know, the tall sprayers, the wide drops, and then our, like, we run 360 tanks on all of our planting tractors. Um, it's easy to get up and down the road with them. They're balanced well. We don't have compaction. All this stuff that's been built for us to use, it, it's got a place. And it's not for everybody, it work, but it works well for us, and it works well for many others. But you got to see what fits you. But the fact is, you can't give up. So then we want to say, well, how can we influence a good crop if it's not under stress? Is there still room on the table? And that's where we pick up and get to that 62, 64-pound test weight corn because we just keep packing it in there. And that's, and that's one thing as we talk about Y-Drop is – as you speak to a lot of the corn breeders out there, there's a lot of them that will tell you late season nitrogen pays on certain hybrids. They really respond well to that later in the season application, something that most guys had never really thought about prior to wide drop because they never had the ability to go into fully tasseled corn and put nitrogen out there. So with wide drop, it gives you the ability to put fertilizer on from shin high corn all the way to black layer. So if you have a sprayer tall enough to get through it, you can apply the fertilizer to the crop at that point. One, one neat thing, so I actually helped manage, a, it's the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina, the Vanderbilts. Kind of getting on the verge of bragging right now, no, Kevin. I don't no, know if I ever told no. you, but I'm friends with a little family from American Fortune Dynasty called <laughs> the Vanderbilts. <laughs> well, all right, we yeah. all know you know rich people. Yeah. Well, actually, they hired me to help them, so yes, I'll accept their money. Okay, you're the hired, you're the hired hand yeah. for the Vanderbilts. Yeah, but no, so... It's a small, it's 7,000 acres, but there's 400 acres of row crops. But how, their equipment is small. The state is a lot of impassable one-lane stuff. So they actually built a four-row Y-drop toolbar to go in and side-dress their corn. So my point is, is regardless of the equipment you have and the size you have, you can make this stuff fit your application. And it is pretty neat, and they do a really, they grow really good corn in that river bottom up there in the mountains. We're going to go to Tommy and talk about specifically, because you're saying, all right, he's the agronomist savant. When are my periods of influence? When does it absolutely matter? When is it critical? 
Tommy, when are periods of influence? Um, I didn't even learn about all these things. Hello, there's my girl, Ashley. Uh, I didn't even know about these things called periods of influence. But you're talking about, obviously, at time of germination, that plant has to have something. Take me from there on and tell me, when are these critical periods when we have to have, we have to have the right fertility in the right place at the right time to make a, a bonus, uh, a, a, a respectable crop? So, of course, we start with infer fertility because we like to sell basically five gallons of infer to an acre, but that's not the only reason. It's, it makes a great carrier. You can put in micronutrients, you can put in organic acids, humix, fulvix, stress mitigation products. It makes a great carrier. And you can't go back and, well, you can go back and replant, but you really don't want to. You get one shot to get the crop up correct, and that's why that's one of the re big reasons why we uh, use infertile fertility. So we go to the next stage. So what's when we start making rows on uh, on corn? What stage? Anybody want to answer that? I might even throw some cash in it for that. What was the question again? Repeat the question. What what, what growth stage do we start making rows on corn? Five. V five, correct. V five. That that's five or V five, whatever. So that uh, kind of coincides with what other basic task are we typically doing at V4, V5? Post-herbicide. What do a lot of people not take advantage of when they're running herbicide? It's a great place, <laughs> yes, it's a great place to put nutrition and there, I don't know why more people do not do it because you're getting a free ride across the field. And these two guys, use finish line in herbicide tank. So that's, that's the next stage. Now when do we start setting how, many, how long that uh, ear's gonna be? What's the next stage? V10 for my buddy in Oregon. That's a regular visitor to uh, Commodity Classic. V10, coincidentally, what typical stage can we, are we running wide drops? That's about the time we're running Y-drops and we're putting on nitrogen. Should we only put on nitrogen at that time? Most people like to do that because they think more nitrogen, more yield. Oh, well, no. You can't use nitrogen unless you have some sulfur in there, unless you have boron in there. And unless you have the third one, if you want to go over and look at my little solubility experiment that I'm doing on the corner over there, it's really nice to add K in there too because there's no way that a corn crop at that stage can supply roughly 10 to, pound, 10 to 14 pounds of K2O per day. You've got to add more K to the environment. Let's go to our friend Luke down here. Periods of influence and how you can help. Uh, we took it from, you know, infro, et cetera, et cetera. Why drops? That's intimidating to a lot of people. I, I mean, seriously, you're, you're going and dragging through there. What am, I, what am I doing? What am I missing? How can my job be easier that I'm kind of scared? I'm intimidated about going out there. I'm afraid I'm going to knock my corn down. I'm probably doing more harm than good. These are the questions you get probably presented with, right? Yep. Tell me why I'm wrong. Yep. So, so at 360, we offer several different products through the entire growth season. So we're talking infro products up to two by two on the planter, bandit, up to the wide drop all the way to the finish. So 
as you ever hear Greg Souter, who's the founder of our company, talk, he always talks about like the relay race. You're always handing corn off one stage to the next, and you never want it to have a bad day. So when you look at Unfurrow products, we have what we call uh, 360 Wave, which is kind of a dual application product. It uh, gives you the ability to close the seed trench, and it gives you the ability to place products three quarters of an inch off to the side from the seed at seed level. So at that pop-up place, you know, you can put some of your micros, some of those things down there next to the seed. Um, the next thing we kind of hand on to is do your early season nitrogen. So like these guys say, when you're going through the field with a planter, you know, that's a pass you're paying for regardless of what you do. So you might as well be putting some sort of nutrient out there with that planter. Um, so we have what we call um, Bandit. So it's two by two by two placement. So placing nitrogen next to the seed in a band, get the, get the benefits of banding nitrogen, that 2x effect of the banding. And then from Bandit, we move on to the wide drop. So we also have two different versions of wide drop. We have a wide drop side dress. So the guys that are used to running a side dress bar, typically a coulter bar or thing like that, uh, we have the ability to adapt them over and use the wide drop system. Um, so you can take any cold coulter bar you have out in the weeds or something that you currently own and adapt it over to be able to use wide drop bases. Or you can go and use your sprayer, which we all understand the price of what this machinery costs us these days. You know, we want to get as much out of every piece of equipment as we can. So if you have that machine in your shed, you might as well be using it to apply fertilizer in season. Um, it's a very good tool, very accurate, something that allows you to span that um, application window from, you know, shin high corn all the way up to tasseling corn. So um, as you look through products, we're a very innovative company. We're always trying to find solutions for growers as they go throughout their uh, growing season. All right, Matt and I are gonna talk about spoon feeding stuff and I just asked him, I said, should we talk about stress? We did a webinar, Extreme Ag, every month for paying members get a webinar where we get a lot of interaction. You don't have to be a member to watch all of our content, but that's something we do. And one of our webinars, we devoted it fully and solely to stress mitigation. Um, one of the big things that Kelly Garrett, one of our uh, Extreme Ag guys said, I believe that we have a lot of potential with the fertility that's there. Maybe we've got a stressed plant and it can't uptake the fertility. So I'd like you guys to address targeting periods of influence with fertility, but also not allowing that fertility to be wasted because the plant is so stressed it can't take it up. So Tommy and then the guys that work where it's obviously very stressful, where it's 110 degrees, Tommy. So the, there's certain nutrients that, that have specific purposes. So we'll talk about potassium. What is one of the main focuses of what potassium does as far as a nutrient? It moves other things around in the plant it is not actually part of any particular plant uh, cell, but it is the nutrient that is the first layer of defense on plant stress. And uh, potassium acetate or our Bio-K technology is the most soluble, available, and efficient form of uh, potassium that uh, is out on the market and, and these guys and as well as Others in the audience, these characters right here on the second row uh, are well familiar with that. Now, stress products. Uh, you, can, uh, you can talk about different metabolites that are on the market, uh, microbial products, organic acids. There's all sorts of different products out there that can help plants mitigate stress because once plants shut down, what do they want to do? They want to produce ethylene, which basically 
cuts the whole growing cycle off. So that's what we want to prevent until it's actually time for a plant to mature. All right, so uh, the, the southern guys, we're going to go here with Matt about stress. I mean, I, I, I think it's a really important thing to say a, a period of influence when that plant is at a certain point. I get that. We can talk about the you know, plant growth cycle. But if it's been 110 degrees for 10 days and no rain, does it matter what I put out there? My plant's so stressed it can't take it up anyhow. Am I right? To me, I look at stress mitigation is not just the, the products Tommy mentioned. Stress mitigation, and we preach this a lot at Extreme Ag, can be anything from, from water to the right temperatures, you know, to a fungicide to, to you know, uh, fertility also. And I think what we do, we fall short of, and I'm as guilty. Anything I'm telling you, I've probably done it the wrong way is why I believe in what I'm, what I'm telling you. But, you know, we, we concentrate so much on the macros, the MP and K as a, as a farmer. The easy way out is to get those three, get those three in the right situation, and then you're done, right? Well, as Lee Luber says, you're on second base. You know, so we have to pay attention to the micros. Those are, those are extra steps we can take to reduce stress, stress on a plant and increase yield. I want you to address that now, Kevin, because we talk a lot about stress reduction is right. In my, in my statement that we were putting fertility out there at periods of influence, sometimes is it a lost cause because there's plants too stressed or is it never, is it never the wrong time to go ahead and target a period of influence? I think you got to put some common sense in there. I mean, if, if you're sitting there in a severe drought and your corn didn't pollinate well and, you know, heavy heat, it's, you, got, you got to be smart and cut the money off. But It looks like a pineapple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you need to be spraying at 2 o'clock in the morning to get those, get those products in there. you got to look at the weather. You can't give up, but when it gets to the part that you know there's no recovery, you got to be smart and farm smart because you want to farm again next year, and they want to see you fertilize next year. So, you know, we got to limit the, the stress on us and the plant at that time. Tommy and or uh, Mr. Murrow, when I think about targeting a period of influence, because that's the whole subject of our thing here today, is there something I can get wrong? Is there a mistake that you've seen made? Have I gone out there and missed my window or misapplied? Tell me, because you know, a lot of times people learn by negative reinforcement. Let's save these people the hassle or the cost of learning with negative reinforcement. What can I get wrong? What mistake can I make that can cost me? Putting too much nitrogen. That's is that pretty much agreed? Everybody agrees on that? Too much nitrogen? Okay. That's something that... You can hop in here anytime. Mistake I can make. If people think about, I want to make more yield, a lot of times they'll throw more nitrogen at it, which is the worst thing that could happen. Um, you know, not too long ago, everybody used to, used to use the rule of thumb, you know, a pound of nitrogen per bushel of corn. Well, that number is now down to, you know, 0 0.6, 0 0.8. But still, there's a lot of people that just throw more nitrogen, and that's not the right thing to do. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, when it comes to nitrogen, you know, that's one of the nice things about some of our systems is it gives you a little bit of that time value of money. So you can have the ability to wait and wait and wait. And as you look at the crop cycle or life cycle of a crop corn plant, you know, it uses 75% of its nitrogen from V10 on. So you have quite a bit of time in there to let Mother Nature play its hand. You know, these guys talk about hurricanes, which I'm from Kansas. I don't even know what that is. But, you know, talk about a tornadoes tornado with and a major lot of water. storms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't know what a hurricane is? Yeah, I'm just joking. Okay, well, I mean, 
I, I, I thought that. You know what a hurricane is? It's a criminal football player from the University of Miami. Uh, that's what, or Nebraska. But anyway, um, you know, with that being said, you know, with wide drop, you know, you have the ability to wait. You can let, like, this last year, like I said, I live in north central Kansas. You know, we, we burned up. So there was a lot of guys that when it came later in the season, they understood that pineapple corn. They knew that, hey, my, my yield is limited at this point. I know what I think I can get. And at that point, it almost becomes some of a rescue mission. You're like, hey, this high dollar um, nitrogen that I'm putting out there, I can hold some of that for next year, you know, versus wasting throwing it out there at the crop. So, you know, time value of money, that's worth a lot to a lot of people. All right, uh, the biggest mistake you say is putting out too much nitrogen. Is there a second biggest mistake that I can make when I'm trying to target my period? I'm out here, I'm chasing yield, I'm all about it, I've been tuning in, I'm watching Extreme Ag, I listen to Tommy and Luke, and then I get too excited and I get a little bit over my skis. I make a mistake. What other mistake might I make? Not putting carbon in with that nitrogen. It did, that's that, a big that one. That's a, that's a big really one. I want everybody good. to address that because Kelly Garrett talks a lot about carbon to nitrogen uh, ratio. Tell us why that's important, Kevin, then pass the mic. I tell you, I feel kind of ignorant because uh, last year was when we did a lot of the test, and when I seen the yield differences, I, I don't know why it took me so long to get on the bandwagon. I played with some of it, but there are certain carbon products that's not as user-friendly as others. They're all good. It's just what's the most user-friendly. And uh, we found some that really worked well for us, and uh, Tommy actually recommended me to use uh, the product. And uh, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, we picked up 18 bushels uh, in a 200 plus acre plot with one planter with one without so nearly 300 acres planted there and it's solid 18 bushels everywhere we added that in there and it's just getting that balance tommy's more of the chemist he can tell you more about it a, a, agronomist i would say and by the way i told the crowd yesterday if you were not here i love tommy roach he's he's again the agronomist savant he also has only one flaw he's a texas tech raider through and through and through and through. So a bunch of the product names he has are named with sports names. He named one finish line to honor our friend Chad Henderson because he's a race car driver. But he also names them after Texas Tech-themed football things. He's got touchdown. He's got offsides. He's got, uh, uh, well, interception uh, for when your crop really needs a reset. Anyway, I'm just going with the things that Texas Tech is known for. Not making a bowl game in the last eight years. Just things like that. All right, go ahead. The last time Purdue did, uh, they were in a bowl game last year. Purdue so went six and seven. Did they win? <laughs> anyway, Purdue's a really good basketball team. <laughs> All right, go ahead and tell us about, uh, I guess, the the thought here on the carbon thing because I need to explain in simple terms: carbon to nitrogen well, ratio. Humic acids, um, that's carbon. Um, acetate carbon is another form of carbon. There's a lot of people adding sugars. Uh, those are some of the things that you can add. Uh, it all helps to improve nitrogen utilization, sulfur, boron, copper, organic acids, potassium. And don't forget, there is another crop out there other than corn. It's called soybeans. It's not, it's not only a, uh, a crop to plant to get to next year's corn crop. As you can hear from this guy sitting on the end, what was your yield this year if you do really? things right contest yield was 123 yeah. 123 it is possible to make a good bean crop without much effort if you know what you're doing 
Got it. And then you have something to contribute on that on, on ratios? Yeah, well, yeah. No, one thing I wanted to say is, you know, we're talking about nitrogen reduction. And we've all been guilty of putting out too much fertilizer. We were actually, at, we were actually when we started at 1.2 to, to a bushel. You know, we're, we're down now from that, but the placement. So if you watch this video of the wide drops, you know, it's a no-brainer when you're slinging urea and ammonia sulfate out all over the place. You know, a lot of that's going in those middles where there's not as, not most of your nutrient uptake roots are at the base of the plant. We were, able, we were able to decrease our, that's the first place we decreased our nitrogen was going to a, going to a wide drop because we didn't have to use as much because we were putting it. So when it's 15 inches off for 30, you know, you're going to get a certain percentage of that. When it's right there at the base of the plant, you're pretty much going to get all of it. And back to Kevin, you got to let me finish. You're going to have to just, just, just hold on a minute. Back to what Kevin said, you know, something that we've learned is there's different ways to protect your nitrogen. We feel like we're protecting our nitrogen with the Humix and the Fulvix in place of some of the other nitrogen protection products that are not good for your soil. Luke, you are all about placing it. I mean, if I want to get it out at a time of influence when it really matters, you're all about that. What do I need to know? Wrap me up, close me out here on the very subject of getting it. Because you know what? Saying the timing matters, placement matters. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the beauty of the systems that we operate. Um, placement is far and foremost our main goal. We want to place that nitrogen where it's most utilized, where it can get into the plant the quickest as possible. And, you know, that's like he said, that's the beauty of a lot of the growers we speak with that have went from, you know, slinging urea to side dressing in the middle, things like that. A lot of them will tell you, you know, I've been able to decrease my nitrogen from that 1.1 down to that 0.75 or 0.6 even in guys that are really trying to push the envelope. So... Um, at 360, we really pride ourselves on trying to make good quality products that help producers solve a solution or form a solution. So if you have any questions, please stop by our booth over there and talk to one of the guys in the white shirts. and We can kind of point you in a direction if you have a question. Big takeaway. Big, big takeaway. Big takeaway is, to know is, how to turn big take away is it makes you bushels if you put the fertility out there, right time, right place, right location. So, one, so this other crop that we were talking about, I just want to get on the bean kick right fast. Once you hit flowering, do not forget to put phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur. They, beans, a 70 bushel bean crop takes more P and K than a 200 bushel corn crop. Say that again, by the way, that's really good information. 70 bushel bean crop takes more P and K than a 200 bushel corn crop. And why, is it, why do I need sulfur? Uh, last I checked, Soybean is a oil seed crop. It is making protein and oil, so you need sulfur to help make protein. Got it. Anything from my two extreme ag farmers on the web door? Big takeaway, right time, right place, targeting periods of influence. I'm just impressed he didn't say by nature's. I was going to bet money on it. No, no, no. He's not doing that. All right. <laughs> this is not a commercial. This is a party, after all. I'll the let y'all do that. What do you got, Kevin? Uh, this, you know, the right time and right placement and the right products and the right equipment. You, you just got to get everything right and get in the field. Get in the field. Don't don't stay out of the field. And then, Matt, our big thing, and we talked about with Chad Henderson, about you can make so much more yield by putting out even less fertility but doing it at the right time and putting it where it needs to be. The old days are done. Going out there and just flinging dry fertilizer every which way because it was cheap and because there was no environmental pressure, those are done, right? That's exactly right. And you're, yeah. the, and you're the disciple for that. I'm the disciple for that. And like Mr. Tommy said, you know, don't, don't forget about your soybeans because they can be a really good cash crop if you treat them right. 
My name's Damian Mason. That's Matt Miles. That's Kevin Matthews with Extreme Ag. Check out our platform. We obviously work in partnership with Nature's. We want to help you get big yields, make lots of money. This is my good best friend, Luke Murrow with 360. Love this guy. And then, of course, Tommy Roach, the agronomist savant with Nature's. The bar is open. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks a lot for being here and on day number Friday of the Commodity Classic. Thank you.